great to see all of you this morning, all the way in the back. Uh, love, uh, love doing life with you guys, uh, especially consider it just a, a privilege to be able to share his word um, with you. And uh, just being fully aware of the fact that I really can't say anything that's going to like impact your life in a, in, a, in a lifelong way, but he can. And if your heart is open to him, it's just amazing. Like He can speak into your heart through me, but he can speak to your heart in spite of me too. If I get it totally wrong today, God can still do something amazing in your heart. So I'd challenge you, encourage you just, just to be open with that thought, God, what are you saying to me today? Because he's not looking just to talk to a crowd. He's looking for that individual, that one who says, wow, I know that's was for me and I'm going to do something with it. If you're listening online, the great thing is that he, God's not limited by technology either. Uh, he can speak to you right where you are. If you're listening in your car right now or even in your bed, wherever you are, God wants to speak to you. And I believe that this morning with, with all my heart. Uh, we've started a series a number of weeks ago, probably 10 weeks ago, but we're only on part six. Uh, do the math, I don't know. You can find the other parts online. We've added a few little things in there, but we've been talking about this idea of living our life on mission because Jesus called us as his disciples, as his followers, to live a life on mission. To, to, um, he told the first disciples, go make more disciples. And this idea of everyone reaching someone, that, 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 that our faith would look so intertwined uh, inter, um, that, that everyone is reaching someone rather than one person reaching masses, everyone so every single person in this place reaching someone, God's design for, for the church and for his kingdom. Uh, and, and if we look at churches, and they've done surveys of churches uh, all across Canada and the States, and they realize that most of, ch- of the churches uh, in, in uh, North America don't operate by that principle at all. That what, the, what Jesus started the early church to look like, very few churches actually look like that. I want to be a part of the churches that, that change that percentage. And so today I want to talk to you about evangelism. Uh, and for some, it's like, you know, you hear that word and maybe just like as, as the picture shows, it, it brings up some questions in your mind. You know, that word evangelism. What do you think of? As, as I mentioned that word, what was the first image that came to your mind? Yeah. Okay, so we've got, we have a few pictures, so good, I love it. The, the thing, what did you think of when you heard the word evangelism? Maybe it was like this. You saw like the street preacher, you know, telling you, turn or burn, right? Maybe you saw the TV evangelist just like was mentioned where it's like, you know, if you sow your $1,000 triple favor seed, you know, it's going to grow into all this. And you're like, evangelism, right? Give your heart to Jesus, but give me your money, right? Like that kind of thought. Maybe, maybe you thought as you, as you, thought about this, you know, the door to door and you're like, you almost answer the door and then you're like, oh wait, it's them. And you're like, how do I, how do I pretend like I'm not home, but they already saw me. And like, oh, it's that awkward thing when you think of evangelism. And then when you hear that Jesus has called us to evangelism, and the power of English will return to me in a minute. But uh, when you think about evangelism and you think, well, we're all supposed to do that. Well, which one am I? And you're like, oh, you know, it creates some of this, this uh, uncomfortable feeling. Maybe you've heard messages about it before. Maybe you've felt like pastors have like been guilting you into it. It's like the Bible says, Jesus says, you go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And if you don't, what's wrong with you people? How come you no invite people to church? You know, whatever it is. Um, for some, you know, I, even uh, we had my uh, buddy of mine sharing, Derek was here a number of weeks ago, and he shared a powerful video of, from Penn and Teller where Penn was saying, listen, if you saw someone about to be hit by a truck, 
How much would you have to hate that person not to go in and rescue them? How much would you have to hate someone not to share with them uh, the gospel when it's the life-saving and life-changing news that could save them from eternity in hell? How much would you have to hate someone? And for some, you were like, that is inspiring. I definitely need to share with my family. And others felt like guilted, like, uh, how much do I have to hate them? Well, I don't really hate them, but I'm still not going to go tell them, man, I guess I must hate them. And, and you wrestle with this internal thing. And so this morning, um, what I realized is that for many of us, and I'm putting me in the box, is that for many of us, we, we come up with these excuses of why evangelism and us don't mix. And I found this video. I just want to start with this one. I'll show you. Here's a couple. Uh, here, maybe just an, a, a little example of some of the excuses we come up with. Can you help me, please? I'm stuck. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I have zero experience in lumberjacking. Thank God you're here. Can you make some food? I've been stuck here for six days, and all I've had to eat are two pine cones. Well, I'm not a nutritionist, so I wouldn't know what someone in your condition would... Do something! Uh, do what? I'm, I'm not a zoologist. There's a gun in the tent. Get the gun. I don't have a license. I've never operated. Uh, Look, just throw a rock or something. I'm not a geologist. I don't know which one would be most effective. Oh, I, I don't want to die. I don't even know if I'll get into heaven. Do you at least know how to get into heaven? Well, actually, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a theologian, so I wouldn't really know what to say to you. But, you know, if you ever get out of here, you really should look into it. <sighs> No formal training in long distance running. <sighs> Not an expert. I can't do evangelism. I, I don't know what to say, you know. That's why we hire people like you to go and do that. And if you've been around church long enough, and if you've read through the Bible, you can find even very spiritual excuses like, Doesn't it say in Ephesians chapter 4 that God put this type of person in the church called evangelists? God put evangelists in the church, and it's true. That's what it does say. And for them, you're like, okay, because that's not my gift. He did not put me, and he did not put me into the church to be an evangelist. That's for those other people who are called to do that. That's their gift. I don't even own a megaphone. I wouldn't know what to do. And we sometimes think like that. If we're not an expert, in something we don't have anything to offer. For others, you know, you've been around church long enough, you've heard this quote by Francis of Assisi, who said this, preach the gospel everywhere you go, and if necessary, use words. And you're like, that is me, you know, I will just live out my faith. And if somebody happens to see by the way that I live, that maybe they come and say, wow, you kind of live differently. I'm, tell me how to be saved, and be like, "Uh, here's my pastor's number, call him, right? I just want to live that out. Well, Unfortunately, if you can put the quote back up there for one second, Francis of Assisi never said that. He actually was a preacher who preached with words and said, listen, make sure that what you're preaching, that your actions line up with that because all of it mixes together. But he never intended that we would just live out our lives without preaching, uh, without sharing our faith. And for some, you're like, I'd rather obey Francis of Assisi, but as followers of Jesus, he says we're supposed to obey Jesus' commands. And so as we think about um, Jesus' command, It's not optional for disciples. 
So that kind of puts us in two groups this morning, because for a lot of us, we don't really love that word disciple. We'd rather go with the word Christian. I'm a Christian because Christians go to church on Sunday. That's what we do. And he says, you know, if you want to be my follower, a follower actually follows what someone says. So you can't be a follower and not follow. That just wouldn't make sense, correct? We're on the same page. So when he says, as a follower of Jesus, if you don't do what Jesus says, you're not really a follower, And it just got real uncomfortable. No show of hands. But when we think of that, we think, okay, so if Jesus says we're supposed to do this, and we feel in our gut we're supposed to do this, but we're uncomfortable, and we're like, well, how do we do this? this? There's this thought, you know, we think, is it words, or is it deeds, or, you know, what is it? But I'd like to show you this button, the easy button. You know, um, Staples is making a fortune on this, and I think what a great thing, you know, because you just push it and... That was easy. Right, so um, for many of you, when you think of evangelism, that's not the first thing that comes to mind. You're not thinking, well, that was easy. But this morning, I want to encourage you and challenge you with a thought that maybe, just maybe, evangelism is easier than you thought it was. And because you're kind of limited by what you what you're not sure of and how difficult you think it might be, that you feel like, ah, it's too difficult, I want nothing to do with it, and I feel like it may be easier than you think it is. And I want to encourage you with that, to think about that this morning. So if you've heard messages on evangelism, you're ready to tune me out, you're ready to just like, when's it over, I I just want to go home, I encourage you to listen because you might learn something, uh, something different about what you've thought before. So uh, jumping into his word, I want to take another look at Jesus' command to us and two people who lived it out that maybe you, you were unaware of. So Matthew records what Jesus told his disciples. He told them some, some incredible things, but who was he talking to? His disciples. So if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, these words are for you as well. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, was Jesus' most famous sermon. He went on a mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, right? So good, we're tracking. So he, he talked about the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek, whatever that is. Blessed are a bunch of different things, so those who mourn. And then right after that, that was kind of his introduction, he says these words right here. He says, you... Who's he talking to? Us, disciples. So he's talking to the ones who say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, you, you're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. And when he says that, he wants you to think about that for a minute. What does it look like to see a city set on a hill? Well, you see it from everywhere. So he wants you to have that picture. He says, you're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that can't be um, hidden. He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Think about that for a minute. No one does that. No one takes a flashlight and then puts it in a dirty sock and is like, try to shine, uh, you know, away. We we don't do that. You use the light to shine. uh, And he says, in the same way, in the same way, he says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. He's like, let your light shine. He says, if you're a follower of me, people should know that you're a follower of me. And how should they know? By the deeds that you do, they look at you like, why, why do they do such good things all the time? What is it about those people? And he says that, that people would see it. And for some, you're, you're skilled in the word, and you're like, well, didn't Jesus also say that when you do a good deed, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing? Huh, well, God, which one is it then, you know? The, the thing is, as he's talking to people, he's saying, listen, if you're going to do some good deed, don't do it so that you get glory. The end of this verse is that they would see your Father in heaven. It requires something to make that, make that uh, transition. For someone who sees, wow, look at all the good things that person does. 
They could guess you're part of the Lions Club. They could guess that you're just like, a, you know, trying to make up for some really bad stuff you did. They're not going to know automatically that, wow, they must be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to give praise to, to God in heaven unless you say something. So he's saying, I want you to shine. I want them to see your good deeds. But ultimately, I want them to praise your heavenly Father. Then in Matthew 28, and here's the verse we've been looking at for six weeks, is this verse that Jesus came and told his disciples. Who? Disciples. So as a follower of Jesus, he's saying, I have been given, and maybe you think, well, he's just talking to those ones. He says this, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, you go and make disciples. Go make followers of Jesus who do what Jesus said. And do that of all the nations, baptizing them, which means they join the family uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach those new disciples. Once they become part of the family, teach them. Teach them what? Teach the new disciples to obey all the commands I've given. What would all the commands be? Well, all the commands would be things like, you are the light of the world, like a city set on a hill. Go shine, go shine. So the new disciples would learn from the other ones what it was like to be a follower of Jesus. And he says, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he left them. So he, uh, he says to them, listen, I want you guys to shine. Go and make disciples. And when you hear that word, you're like, go make disciples of all nations. The first question we think of is like, well, where? Like, go where? Uh, and, and for some, you automatically think a missions trip. You know, I, well, okay, I got to go on a missions trip, and that's, that's where I'm going to shine. That's where I'm going to go make disciples. Uh, I'm going to Haiti uh, next week with a couple of people. And, we, you know, you can sometimes think, well, that's, that's the important stuff. That's like going on a missions trip. But could I tell you that maybe it's easier than that? Because for some of you, like, I don't have, like, thousands of dollars to go on mission trips. If I would go there, I wouldn't know what to say. Uh, what would I do? It's easier than that. That word go, when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, go and make disciples of all nations, the word go really is just a simple word that says, as you're going. And that's the title of today's message, as you're going, as you're on your journey of life, as you're living. He's basically saying, hey, live, live, just live this way. Wherever you find yourself, make disciples. So what does that mean for us? See, we tend to compartmentalize our lives. We kind of like to have our lives in boxes. Uh, and if you ever listen to Mark Gunger, he talks about relational advice. And he says men especially have this thing of boxes in their brains where everything is compartmentalized. We got a box for our car. We got a box for our job. We got a box for the mother-in-law. We got a box. And, and when we talk about different things, we only talk about what's in that box. We don't talk about anything else. Nothing mixes. And women are a little different. Everything's connected to everything, right? But So think like men for a minute. But oftentimes, what we do with our lives is we compartmentalize. We've got our spiritual box. That's right now. You're in it. It's like, I got up this morning and I went to church because it's the Sunday box and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm in church because I'm a Christian. And after service is over, I'm going to close up the box. I'm going to put it on the shelf and I'm going to go to my real life box and I'm going to live out my job box. Uh, today I'm not. I'm just going to hang out box and then I'm going to sleep box and then I'm going to go to work box. Then I'm going to come home and have dinner with the family box. Then I'm going to watch NHL box. Whatever it is, you've got your boxes in and that's kind of how we live our lives. But but uh, the truth is, we really only have one life. There is no spiritual side of your life and normal side of your life. He's saying it's all connected. And when we don't realize that it's all connected, we think this is church and this is small group and this is this side and this is work and this is uh, life and this is family and they don't mix. And he says, as a follower of Jesus, as you go, wherever you go, I want you to bring me. I want you to shine. I want them to see 
uh, and uh, that they can be made into disciples. And so the first disciples, they did exactly what Jesus commanded. Well, sort of. They started going on their journey of life, and they journeyed to Jerusalem because that's where they lived. So they left where Jesus was. This is where they were going. And they started telling people about, hey, you'll never believe this. Well, maybe you will. But there's a man who was raised from the dead. He died on a cross because of our sin. He actually paid the full punishment for our sins. And if by trusting in him, you can have eternal life. And people were like, really? And they began to believe that. And all of a sudden, there was all these followers of Jesus, but they were all in this one place. And so we often read about the first disciples. We think, of course, they could do it. They're superheroes. When we picture Jesus and the disciples, we picture this, you know? Like, here they are. These are the guys who, like, changed the world. That's from a T-shirt. If anybody finds that, I would love it for Christmas. But um, the... (laughs) The, the, this thought of, well, they walked with Jesus, of course, they could do it, but what about me? What I love about the New Testament writers is they didn't only write about the main characters, they wrote about some others as well. Um, Luke was a guy who, he was a, 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 a medical doctor. He also wrote these, um, these uh, two, two books, I guess we call it. One was just a, a narrative of some of the things that Jesus did while he was on the planet. It's called Luke. And then he wrote a whole bunch of uh, letters in his, like his travel journal as he traveled with Paul and others, and it's called Acts. And in Acts, Luke, he made it his business to go and talk to people who had seen things and said, tell me what you've seen and what you heard. I want to write an accurate account. And then he'd go and ask other people who were involved in the story, what did you guys think? And he would write down an accurate account. And so That was his whole purpose, but here's what he writes, and I I, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8. The first seven chapters of Acts have the disciples still mainly in Jerusalem. They didn't go really into all the world. They went into Jerusalem. That's as far as they got, Uh, but the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they they all got upset. They're jealous of this whole, these groups of, of Jesus followers, and so they began hunting them down to kill them. And they had just, if you read Acts chapter um, 6 and 7, you get to read the story of a man named Stephen who just shared his faith. Uh, and, I mean, this isn't like a real, like, inspiring thing because he dies a horrible death uh, and in that moment. Uh, and so as, as we read about that, we see that he's the first martyr. And uh, Paul, or his, his name was Saul at that point, in Acts chapter 8, it tells us, what, what happens to this group of Jesus followers from that moment. So follow along with me, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses to this murder of Stephen, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church uh, in Jerusalem, and all the believers, see that word, believers? That, another word for believers is disciples. Those are very similar words. All the disciples, except for the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So the believers were scattered. The apostles stayed. Who were the apostles? They were those first, the, early, the very first disciples of Jesus. You know, um, Matthew, Mark, and, and, well, not Mark, Matthew, John, James, all, Peter. They were the apostles. They were like the superheroes. They all stayed in Jerusalem, but the story's not about them. It says that the other ones were scattered. In, in verse 2, some devout men came. They buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, and he dragged both men and women uh, to throw them into prison. Verse 4, but when the believers, when the disciples who were scattered, preached, or um, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And sometimes that word preached gets us a little bit like we think preacher. That's not what they did. They just told people. They just told people about the good news of Jesus wherever they went. Verse 5, Philip, for example, so here they're saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let me tell you a story about an example. A believer, a disciple, who went to the city of Samaria, and he told the people there about the Messiah. See, Philip was just a believer. He was actually 
one of a group of seven guys that they said, hey, we, want, we need some guys to serve in the food bank. Any, any takers? And they found seven men who were going to serve food at the food bank. And so that's what they were doing for, for a while. But it's, as they were serving food, they would share their faith in Jesus Christ with others. And one of those people was Stephen. And so they took Stephen, who was one of the group of seven, and they murdered him. Now here's Philip, one of Stephen's good buddies. They work together. He's, they, he's, he also works in the food bank and shares his faith, and he gets scattered out somewhere else. He goes to Samaria, and he tells people, and it says that many people became followers of Jesus as a result of just this normal guy going out, sharing his faith wherever he was. But there's more to the story of Philip the disciple, and I hope this morning that as we see from this example, that it becomes an example to us to follow. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, uh, after others had been scattered to different places, but it says, as for Philip, it's one who, this, this disciple, this follower of Jesus. It says, an angel of the Lord said to him, go down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Again, go. I want you to go to this place. So he started out. And it says, and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. And the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So here he is. He's just, he's just going down the road. And, and it says he meets someone. How often does that not happen in our lives? Every single day as you're going about life, you're going to meet people. And it says he happens to meet this man. And it says uh, this, this man was returning. He was seated in his carriage, and he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So he's sitting there reading. He's, he's reading um, some scripture. But it says then this in verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip. You know where that is? It's like in the inside. Holy Spirit says to Philip, go. Go over and walk along beside the carriage. This story never goes any further than this if Philip doesn't actually do what he feels prompted to do. And how does that work? Holy Spirit, it's like this prompting on the inside of, hey, uh, just, just go, go talk to that person. Well, he doesn't even say that to Philip. He's like, hey, just, just go over and stand by that carriage. Just go stand by the carriage. And what does it say Philip does in verse 30? Philip runs over. Now, you know, it's that moment of like, wow, God, this might be you. I'm going to run over there. And he chases down the chariot. I heard Stephen Furtick share a message on this months ago, and it's, it's one of the things that just never left my mind, that he said, you know, back in the day of the early church, back in the day of, you know, even with Kingsway, there was these chariot chasers, people who ran down, who cared enough about others to say, I'm just going to obey Holy Spirit, and would run after, run after others uh, around them. And it says, so he ran and chased the chariot down. And as he ran up, all of a sudden he heard something. He heard this man reading from the scripture, and he asked him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And, the per and he said to him, um, how can I understand unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. So he just says, you know, come sit with me. And I think that there's something powerful in that for all of us as well, because for some, that's just that simple question, and sometimes it's just reversing it where we are around others and they're going through some difficult times and, you know, you hear that at work, there's like, yeah, my marriage is in trouble. And you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Sometimes the simplest thing is, hey, would you just, you know, I don't have all the answers, but would you come sit with me at Kingsway this weekend? Because I don't know, but there's things that, that, I've learned, uh, that I've learned about the Lord that have affected my life in a real way. Would you just come sit with me? Maybe for you, as you're talking to some of the guys, and the guys at work are like, oh, this is this is stuff going on, and, you know, I just, ah, I feel like, yeah, I don't know, I, I feel a little out of control. Hey, would you come sit with me at my small group? What's a small group? I know it sounds a little strange, but it's crazy the things that have happened there for good in my life. Would you come sit with me? I mean, what a simple thing to ask somebody. Hey, would you come sit with me? It says in verse 32, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. He said he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb silent before the shears. He didn't open his mouth. 
He says he was humiliated and received no justice. You picture it? He's just reading it to Philip. He says, who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? And then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was this prophet talking about himself or someone else? And here's what Philip did. He said, so beginning with the same scripture, beginning with where this man was at, he says he told him the good news about Jesus. See, it doesn't matter where they're at. It's, it's, but it's starting from that point and saying, hey, do you know what? It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter how bad things might seem. I have good news for you. Because for every single person, for every single uh, person that you come into contact with, there's, there's good news for them. There's a God who loves them. See, oftentimes we think we've got to start by shouting it out and telling them, hey, we'll just find perfect strangers and, and yell at them. But it starts actually with just allowing people to, to trust, to have conversations, and to be a listening for where they may be at. It says in verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? See, it doesn't tell us all the stuff in between, but obviously as he talked to him about Jesus, this guy got more and more intrigued. He's like, so you're saying there's a man who rose from the dead? There's a guy, this, this scripture actually happened? Like this was written hundreds, thousand years ago, how, this actually came true. And he says, man, I, can I put my faith? Yeah, yeah, how, how do I do that? Well, you get baptized in water. Well, there's some water. Can I get baptized right now? Yeah, and so it says, Philip ordered the carriage to stop. They went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And it says, meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the uh, town of Azotus, and he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. And when you hear that, you're like, sometimes we miss out on all the other stuff because we get lost in the miraculous. We're like, what? He just disappeared? Yeah, like the Holy Spirit just transported him out of there. It doesn't mean that you can believe for that. Like, uh, it's not like me and the other guys, like, oh, God, you know, it'd be a whole lot cheaper for us to go to Haiti if you would just zap me there. God, I pray and believe. I'm not booking a ticket. You just get me there. You missed the whole point of what it was, what, the, what was happening here, even in spite of the miraculous, is that you see that this man left rejoicing. It affected his life in a powerful way. But look at Philip, where Philip, where, he's, all of a sudden, he's gone. He's not like starting up a new, you know, ministry. I'm the man who flew through the air, you know, come see, I'll tell you my story. What does he tell? He's just like, well, wherever he is, he begins to share the good news of Jesus. So wherever he finds himself, he just tells people about the good news. Luke also tells us the story of another believer, another disciple in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. It says this, there was a believer. What's a believer? A disciple. There was a disciple in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas, uh, and she was always doing kind things. I know the Greek names are difficult. She says this, what? This believer, this disciple was always doing kind things. Remember Jesus said, let your good works shine for all to see. He's doing good works for others and helping the poor. See, the only reason that Dorcas is in this story, well, we'll go with Tabitha. The only reason Tabitha is in this story is because of what happens next. This is why, we, this is why it was recorded. It was this miraculous event that's about to happen. But what we learn, for some, we focus just on the miraculous event, and we, we don't realize what we learn about this person as a result. Said this, about this time she became ill and she died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, and so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room, and the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes that Dorcas had made for them. Can you picture that? He gets there, and there's this room full, there's this, this uh, 
woman who's passed away. And then there's all these people like, look at what Tabitha made for me. This blouse she made for me. And the widows never really got well taken care of. She's like, no one else cared, but Tabitha did. It's like, look at the skirt that Dorcas made for me. And she would hold it up and be like, this is what this, is what this woman did. And now she's gone. Who's going to look after us now? And Peter's like, all right, all the widows out of the room. And it says, that's what he did. But Peter asked him, verse 40, he asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and he prayed and turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. She opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and he helped her up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers and he presented her to them alive. It's a powerful thought. You know, we see this miraculous event, but this miraculous event affects a whole lot of people. And I would say primarily because of who Tabitha was, the fact that she lived out her faith doing kind things. But what does it say in verse 41? He called in the widows and all the believers. Why didn't it just say he called in all the believers? Part of me thinks that some of those widows weren't actually believers yet. That they were there because Tabitha had done amazing things, had let her light shine, and they were attracted and in that room. And it says that as, as, this, um, as she was raised from the dead and this miraculous event happened, that through her, through her death, these people being in that place got to witness and experience this. In verse 42, it says, That news spread to the whole town and what many believed in the Lord. Many became followers of Jesus. Many became disciples as a result. So what is it? You know, there's, her story was being shared. Look what God has done. Tabitha was probably telling her story, and the widows are like, wow, this is why. There's some, this woman, there's some amazing things behind all the good deeds she's done, and many believed and became disciples. See, the end result of whether it's words or deeds is that there's more disciples, more followers of Jesus. But that's not the only benefit. You know there's a benefit for the, for the disciples who share the word as well? You read about them, and they, they say, man, that, these, the, that the disciples who share their faith, and it wasn't just then, it's now. They come back, and they say, wow, it was, uh, it was really incredible. I, I, I don't, like, I've never felt like that before as I got to share my faith with someone else. I thought it was going to be scary, but, man, it was, it was amazing. When Jesus sent out the disciples and they came back, I think it's Luke 11, but you can look that up. They came back, and uh, they were like, Jesus, it was phenomenal. You weren't there, but we were, and we told people about you, and people believed in you, and we prayed for sick people, and they got healed, and they're, like, super excited. You know, when they came back, they probably could have said, you know, well, that was easier than I thought. But they don't have that button, you know? And, and really what they probably should have had, and maybe Staples can make a lot of money on this, is they should have had other buttons like, that was amazing, that was invigorating, that was awesome, that was inspiring, that was life-changing, that was phenomenal. One of the last times you've used those words uh, about your faith. See, a lot of times the problem is that we don't have those experiences because we think that evangelism is for someone else. And you're like, well, what about the people? You know, what if, what if, what if they're not ready? How do I know if they're ready or not ready? And I can tell you, as we kind of wrap today up, that some aren't going to be ready to hear. Some aren't going to be excited to hear about you and, and, and your, you know, your faith and the fact that you believe in Jesus and, and that you believe your sins have been forgiven and that you believe in eternity. For some... Your good deeds are actually going to push them away. They're like, what do you want? You know, you go and you snow blow their driveway this winter, and they're like, hey, I'll pay you 20 bucks. You're like, no, no, keep the money. No, no, I'm going to pay you. You know, you, you, you're not, I'm, I'm not going to owe you anything. You know, like, no, no, I just, well, then why are you doing it? Well, because I just want you to know there's a God who loves you. I was like, okay, see you later. You know, I don't, I don't want anything. You're weird. But they're going to be peeking out their window next snowstorm to see, is he coming back again? <laughs> right? Right? Like, th there's this thing, and you don't always know when they're ready. 
For some, it pushes them away, but for others, that light of letting your light shine, it draws people in. See, it's, it's easier to tell different things when they're ready, like bananas, for instance. You know, it's easy to tell when the banana's ripe. And I put a picture up, just make sure we get you back. Here we go again. Bananas, you know, green, not ready. You know, brown, too late. Yellow, you know. But when you look at people, you're like, they green, they're not ready. You know, brown, too late. You know, oh, this one's perfect. Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Yes. You know, it doesn't work like that. Derek Knight told us that in his testimony a couple of weeks ago. He's like, he was on the beat, and this girl says, hi, I'm, I forget what her, Rebecca, I think. Hi, I'm Rebecca. Do you know where you're going when you die? And he, he's like, normally, if anybody asked me that, I'd be like, get away. I don't want to talk to you. But he said in that moment, he was ready. And he said, you know what? Uh, actually, I don't know where I'm going to, could you tell me? And she shared the gospel with him. He gave his heart to the Lord, became a follower of Jesus. But with people, it's not always that easy. And so I leave you with this last illustration, that the kingdom is often, and evangelism is often like a beehive. And this idea of being the church that God designed us to be, kind of more like this, that there's, there's two types of bees. There's the worker bee and the drone. After all those wasps got in my house, I've been like, just like researching everything to do with bees. Just is that one, will that, what will, how much damage will that one do, right? So I learned some things in the process. And one is this, that the worker bees, they're the ones who fly all over the countryside. They're the ones who are protecting the hive. They're the ones who are feeding the young. They're the ones who are tending to the queen and to one another. And they're just all over the place looking for flowers that are open, bringing pollen back to the hive, making honey. Then there's this other bee, the drone. The drone, those are the, the guys, and for some they use this in marriage illustrations as well, the guy who just stays at home, eats all the honey, hangs out with the other drones, doesn't leave the hive, uh, demands that he be served all the time, and then um, at the end, he dies. You know, and so what I think about then, and I think about this with the church, God's designed us to be like those workers who are going out. He said, go, 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 go out there, and you realize that as you go, and you're going to experience all the joys of life and, uh, and life in the kingdom. And the, or you have the choice. You can be a drone. Just even the name sounds boring. You know, staying in the church, hanging out with all the other Christians, hoping the pastor does a good job, paying my, you know, tithe or whatever I'm supposed to, and just droning away in church. Yay, I'm a Christian. There's no zeal. There's no excitement. Why? Because it was never designed to be that. He said, as you're going and sharing your faith is very much like those worker bees. As those worker bees go, they go to the flowers. And, and for some, you're like, how, how, like, how do I share my faith? It's, you can learn from them. He says, they go, and, they go to the flowers and look for the open ones. And if there's a flower, as they come near it and uh, they buzz on by and it's like, wow, you know, it's, it's open. They go down into the heart of the flower and the pollen comes out and they, that, there's that, that deep connection between the bee and flower. But, but for Christians and other people, I encourage you to be like the bee. Fly around as you're, as you're going through life and you come across someone, you're like, as you're sharing your faith, um, just, or just showing good deeds that somebody asks you, like realize, ah, they're open. Maybe I can share a little bit more with them. And maybe that's as far as it gets. Maybe you get to share your story. Maybe you just get to tell them that God loves them. Maybe you get to say, hey, come sit with me. But as you're kind of buzzing through life and as you come to people and like you mention Jesus and they're like, ugh. And if they're closed, then be like the bee and buzz off. Don't go and try and just like, I got to tell you about Jesus because my pastor told me I have to. It, just be one of those people who, as you're going through life, is looking for where God might be working. So what is the conclusion? First Peter wrote to the, to the new believers. He said, God's given each of us. Who? Yeah, each. That means every single person. A gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another, he says. If you have the gift of speaking, 
If that's kind of what your gift is, you're good at talking, then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Why? Because God himself is speaking through you. When you begin to share with people, hey, you know what? I believe that Jesus, and sharing your story, do you realize that God is talking through your words to their heart? Isn't that how we came to faith? Isn't it because someone shared with us that we we're like, man, I, there's, I don't know all the answers, but something about what they're saying makes sense here. And it doesn't all make sense here, but there's something here. And Jesus, if you'll forgive me, man, I want to follow you. He says, you know, if you have the gift of helping others, if you've got the gift of serving, you know, do, do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies, and then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. So is it doing deeds or is it speaking? It's both. And I would tell you, it's both for every one of us. I can't get away with just standing up here and talking at you, telling you, you guys go do something. He's calling me to do some things to shine so I have the opportunity to speak. And for you, he's saying, do some things to shine so you have the opportunity to speak. If you don't know what to share, no, just, just begin to study because looking um, just of different things, figure out what's my story. How can I tell my story in three minutes? As you're going out this week, can I challenge you as you're going, as you're living, would you be intentional this week about living out your faith and word and deed, looking for God at work? Our small group leaders ask us all the time, where do you see God working in your life? The reason we don't see him working is because we're not looking. But when you go out realizing, wow, I'm working with God, I'm going out to reach people for his kingdom. That's why I'm here. I, I'm, God, help me be aware of the people in my life as I'm going through life, living my life. Who's around me? Maybe tomorrow it's going to be somebody at work that you're like, wow, huh, I never actually heard what they're really going through. Maybe tomorrow it's at the gas station and you see this um, somebody there who's like forgot their debit card and like, oh, what am I going to do? Ta-da, let me pay for your gas. Why would you do that? Ah, because there's a God who loves you and I want you to know that. See you later. You know, the, maybe it's at the grocery store where you see a mom, a homeschool mom with four children trying to push a cart full of things and children running all across the parking lot and realizing, oh yeah, it's probably difficult. Maybe I could help her bring her groceries to her car. You know, whatever it may be, Maybe it's going to be at dropping kids off at daycare. Maybe it's going to be at school where you see that kid that everyone else picks on and you're like, you know what? Forget it. I don't care if this is social suicide for me. I'm going to go and I'm going to befriend that person. Why? Because God loves them and they need to know it. You may save a life in more ways than one. Most of the time we don't see God at work because we're not looking close enough. But what could you do this week to be intentional about following Jesus? The commands were just so clear. Just go out and shine. Let your light shine. Let people know you're a follower of Jesus. Does, what if I don't have all the answers? You don't need to have all the answers. Go let your light shine. Go share with them the faith that you have and that you know, and maybe you'll see amazing things happen. Maybe for you, it's simply going to be say, hey, come sit with me. Come sit with me. It could be your neighbor this week. It could be somebody. The chance for them, the opportunity for them, we don't decide whether they're going to say yes or no, but if we don't give them the opportunity, if they don't see a light shining, they're never going to have the opportunity to decide either way. And I encourage you as Jesus followers. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, well, this really wasn't for you. I hope I didn't waste too much of your time. But for those who are Jesus followers, I just want to encourage you to follow Jesus and to encourage me to do the same because we have an amazing, amazing God with amazing, amazing life-changing message changed our lives and changed the world. Would you go out and share it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that even a... Though it's thousands of years old, it affects us in such a deep, powerful, and profound way. Father, I pray that it would be more than just a good idea, uh, more than just a good intention in our hearts this morning, that as we leave this place, that our eyes would just be open to see people the way you see them. 
Help us to be aware of those around us in our life this week. We're, we're so focused on us. Uh, God, I pray that as we are open to you, that as you prompt us on the inside, God, would you give us courage to, to just be obedient to that and to walk that out. Lord, may they see you in us. Uh, may they see how amazing you are. May they see your incredible love. Lord, we believe for eternal destinies to be changed this week because of what you've done in us and what you're about to do through us. In your name, for your glory, we pray. Amen.